This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Mile High Ambulance. The Emergency Medical Minute is excited to announce that we are now offering AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits. This is accessible through our online course modules that can be accessed at www.emergencymedicalminute.org backslash CME-courses, or simply by clicking on the link in our show notes and creating an account. Good evening, everybody. So I want to do a quick review on hyperkalemia. We don't see it a ton. We see it a moderate amount, typically in folks who are end-stage renal disease, but you can get acutely hyperkalemic if you have an acute kidney injury or acute renal failure. So what would we define hyperkalemia as? What would the lab findings be of your serum potassium? So 3.5 to 5 is normal. So you start getting above that. We really start to talk about hyper, true hyperkalemia above 5.4, obviously non-hemolyzed samples. And then once you get up into six, seven, eight, particularly if it's acute, if they've never been hyperkalemic before, if they haven't ever had to tolerate hyperkalemia before, then that's true acute hyperkalemia. Why do we worry about hyperkalemia? Yeah, cardiac irritability, exactly. Dysrhythmias, right? So um, it's pretty well described what the uh, relationship between the serum measured potassium level and your cardiac dysrhythmia is. Does anybody want me to tell? What's the first thing you see? We're pretty good at finding this. First EKG change you see. Peak T waves. Yeah, peak T waves first. Peak T waves first. Generally, that correlates with like a serum K of about six. And then what's the next thing we see? What starts to get longer? QRS. Prolonged PR and QRS intervals. So it starts to stretch out. Remember, the, the potassium is essentially responsible for recharging all of the cells. So the sodium fires the cell and then the potassium recharges it. So it starts to lengthen out, meaning you can't quite fire as quick as you want because it takes longer and longer to recharge. And then when you're getting towards really scary stuff, what... What does it look like? Does anybody know? Sine wave. Yeah, that's the end of the line, so to speak. And that's, that's when you start getting up higher, eight, nine of your serum potassium. Serum potassium measurements aren't always perfect. As we know in things like DKA, you know, there's various intracellular, extracellular shifts that go on. So we have to take that with a grain of salt. But in general, what are some things that we use to treat hyperkalemia when we think that it's real? Insulin. Excellent. Why do we use insulin? drives the potassium into the cell, right? So we're just shifting it, right? So there's three staples of treatment for hyperkalemia. The first one is you stabilize the cardiac membranes, right? What do we use to do that? Calcium, Calcium good. And then a second way is we shift it around. We say, well, it only really matters if it's circulating and it's too high. If it's in the cell briefly and it's too high or other places, that's okay. We don't, but so we had to try to shift it. So that's what we use insulin for. What else can we use to shift it? We'll talk about Caxlate in a second. So D50 is if your insulin induces a hypoglycemia. So albuterol, albuterol can help drive it into the cell, right? It, folks are asthmatics who are getting continuous NEBS can get hypokalemic because it helps drive the uh, potassium into the cell. And so those are the two mainstays for shifting it. Uh, you mentioned caxlate. So the third way is in theory, you could get rid of, you could bind it and you could get rid of it, right? Now that's normally what the kidneys do, but there's usually something wrong with the kidneys in this case. So caxlate, there's an interesting review. That's part of what this medical minute is. It's from the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. I have a printout right here. It'll be up by the charge test if you're interested, but there's a lot of myths and there's a lot of misconceptions about the treatment of hyperkalemia. Okay. And one of them is caxlate. And essentially there've been a lot of studies. The principle is that caxlate binds to your potassium in your GI system and supports you know, moving potassium out via that way. So you lose whole body potassium in that way, kind of like inducing a diarrhea, so to speak, right? But unfortunately it really doesn't work and it certainly doesn't work in the acute setting when we need it to work. Uh, a Cochrane review said in the first four hours of getting KXLA, there really was no significant drop. 
Furthermore, there are consequences to giving KXLA. Does anybody know what can happen? Bowel necrosis is a, it's a rare, but it's a described phenomenon of using Caxalate. So in general, if it doesn't maybe work and it might cause some problems, we probably will start to phase that out and not use that quite as much. There's also some new potassium binders that we can use as a replacement, but really interesting kind of review of myths and misconceptions about treatment of hyperkalemia in this paper. It's pretty short and, uh, and it just came out. Uh, when did this come from? October, 2021. So it's pretty up to date. It reviews some of the EKG changes talks about calcium and the value of calcium and different types of calcium. And then it kind of shows you what the EKG looks like based on serum levels of calcium. So that's a quick run through of hyperkalemia and uh, let's have a great shift. Thanks everybody. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Health One Continental Division and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or reoccurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.